Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Health Trip Podcast. Raise your hand if you're in menopause. You are not alone. You are in a club with about 75 million other women in the U.S., including myself. The average age of a woman in menopause is 51, but that can range between 40 and 58 years old. We are going to spend a third of our lives in menopause, so why not make it a beautiful time in our lives? There's just no need to suffer anymore during perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause when we have options to support us. Perimenopause and menopause may include a variety of symptoms such as hot flashes, brain fog, low libido, anxiety, hair loss, and waking. Menopause also opens the door to an increased risk of chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, and metabolic syndrome. I've said this before in previous podcasts, and I will say it again. At the end of the day, you get to make the final decision on whether or not to take hormone replacement therapy, whether it's HRT or BHRT. At the very least, educate yourself on the topic, the benefits, and the possible health consequences if you don't do anything, then make your decision. My guest today is Dr. Wen Shen, an Associate Professor of Clinical Gynecology and an Associate Professor of Oncology at the Oncology Center in the Johns Hopkins Medicine Department of Gynecology and Obstetrics. She is also the Clinical Director of the Menopause Consultation Service and Co-Director of the Women's Wellness and Healthy Aging Program. A board-certified gynecologist, Dr. Shen has concentrated on menopause medicine for more than 15 years. She specializes in treating perimenopause and menopausal symptoms, taking into consideration the woman's overall health. She often works with her patient's primary care provider to recommend non-hormonal therapies, alternative treatment options, and menopause hormone therapy as appropriate for the individual patient. She is a fellow of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and is on the board of trustees for the North American Menopause Society. She earned her master's in public health and her medical degree from Tulane University School of Medicine. She completed her residency in gynecology and obstetrics at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. So we are in good hands to talk about this topic once again. A little medical disclaimer before we dive in, by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for the making of any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back and open your minds and let's dig in with Dr. Wen Shen. Hi, Dr. Shen. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. I am so excited to bring you to my community today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited about this conversation also. So I already did my opening about you, and I talked about a term that I'm not sure if you coined it or not, but it's menopause medicine. So where did that term come from, and what does it mean, and why are you so passionate about this? So menopause medicine is something that is referred to, um, I don't know if I coined it, but is referred to quite often at the North American Menopause Society. Um, it's a term that those of us who are part of that organization refer to because to us, uh, menopause is more than just a woman not having any more periods, a woman having hot flashes. It is the whole woman and what happens to her during that menopause transition and what happens once she becomes post-menopausal. Yeah, so why, why is this so passionate to you? I'm passionate about it because I'm in it. I'm almost 55 and I am in the throes of menopause. And so I, I'm you know always talking about how to get through this in a right. smooth way. Right, exactly. I'm passionate about it because 
when a woman is going through the menopause transition and during the first few years after she stops having a period, she can have really, really significant, severe symptoms, symptoms that severely affects her quality of life, you know, which means her ability to concentrate, her ability to work, um, all the hot flashes during the day that interrupt her work and uh, make her less effective, all the night sweats that wake her up and make her sleep deprived and fatigued and, you know, brain fog and very irritable. Um, mood changes is a really, really big issue. Um, depression, anxiety. A lot of women can have experienced palpitations around perimenopause and they're sent to a cardiologist who runs them through a battery of tests and tell them there's nothing wrong with them, go away, right? right. And so it's all of these symptoms that can be very um, scary and also cause a lot of frustration and despair for a lot of women. And so as a result, it's very important for me to be able to help women who are having these severe symptoms. But in addition, women, uh, patients who come to see me usually will be kind of puzzled because I'll go through a whole list of questions about their past medical history, about their family history, about their lifestyles. And, you know, they're kind of looking at me like, what does that have to do with my hot flash? You know, and so to me, menopause medicine is a lot more than just a hot flash because she still has a third of her life Correct. to live. And what happens to her and how well she takes care of herself going forth from her menopause can really impact on how that last third of her life is lived. And by the way, that last third of her life, because I'm just starting that third for myself, your kids are pretty much gone, right? They're, they're off and running. They are out of the coop and, you know, you get to now pivot your lifestyle and your Exactly. Your, your desire in a direction that you want, you have a lot more time for yourself. So why not have it be the most vibrant, energetic, um, you know, beautiful time in our lives? Exactly. Exactly. So right. you're, you're very lucky that that is the case, but um, unfortunately I do have a lot of patients <clears throat> who um, still have um, teenagers at home mm -hmm. and have aging parents whom they have to be right. responsible for. And then they have a full-time job. And then there's a husband in the background who says, you don't love me anymore. We never have sex anymore. What's right. wrong? So I mean, that's just a lot on a woman. Absolutely. So this is a good um, spot in the podcast to really break down what are these stages? Because a lot of women are really unaware of when perimenopause starts, how long it can last um, when menopause has taken action and, and, and beyond. So let's break down the different stages um, for, for the listeners. Right. So there is a lot of confusion with that. And a lot of patients are told, no, you're too young. You can't be in perimenopause. So really a woman could start having perimenopausal symptoms in her thirties. Hmm. Okay. But most women start having perimenopausal symptoms in their 40s. And perimenopausal symptoms are exactly what menopause symptoms are, right? The hot flashes, the night sweats, the mood swings. And so these can start in the 30s. And um, it's very discouraging to be told that um, you're too young, it's something else. But definitely, you know, be aware if that is happening to you and it's persisting, then you are in perimenopause. And even if you're not having these distressing symptoms, if your periods start being irregular, mm -hmm. okay, so, you know, you've always had regular periods, you can set the clock according to your periods, and then all of a sudden your periods are all over the place. That's another symptom that you are in perimenopause. 
okay? But because there are other things that can affect your menstrual cycle when you're in your 40s, it's very important for you to make sure that you are evaluated for your irregular periods, you know, besides assuming that it's perimenopause. So that's, and usually with perimenopause, um, it can start 10 years before a woman's last menstrual period. Mm. So a woman won't know that the period she's having is her last menstrual period, right? Until right. she goes past that. And if she goes 12 consecutive months without a period, and that is a spontaneous 12 consecutive months, not because she's been on chemotherapy, not because she's had surgery. This is, you know, her period just stopped right. for 12 consecutive months. Then she is considered postmenopausal. Okay. So once a woman is postmenopausal, it is um, when she will no longer have periods, when she is no longer reproductive. So that is when she can stop using her contraception. Um, that is when she, but it doesn't mean that her symptoms will go away. So the menopause symptoms can continue for another five to 10 years. So there's a lot of years in there in which a woman can have all these symptoms. And once so, so wait, one menopause is considered just really the 12 months then, the 12 months right. absent of a cycle. But what right. about spotting? A lot of women, including myself, have spotting. So do you have to start all over again when you spot? Yeah, yeah. Especially oh. if you, <laughs> I know, it's very discouraging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of patients will say, I was ready to throw out my right. pots. Right. And, I was and then, so close. <laughs> right, exactly. And then they have a couple more episodes, you know, of spotting for a few months. And then, so yeah, the clock does start right over again mm -hmm. because you're still having some ovarian function. It has not stopped yet. And because you're still having ovarian function, you also need to be aware that you need to be on contraception because there is that possibility that you might ovulate during that time. Right. Well, coming from a mother of five who are all gone now, I would never want that to happen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So when a woman goes through this, um, or when a woman is in menopause or even in perimenopause, they have some decisions to make, right? They have some decisions to make, which include taking hormone replacement therapy or bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. They can use alternative remedies and therapies and they can do nothing. And some women breeze through menopause and don't have these symptoms. I didn't have too many of them. Um, and we're going to talk about that because um, some people who choose not to do anything choose not to do anything because they aren't having those symptoms. However, when you lift up the hood to menopause, there are some other factors to consider that are some serious health consequence of doing nothing, which we're going to talk about. But let's talk about these three options. Do you, let's say a woman is going through menopause and she is in the school of I want to do this naturally. I'm going to do Chinese herbs. I'm going to take this. I'm going to do acupuncture and shiatsu, and I'm going to breeze through. Are you in support of that? Is there, yes. okay. Can you expand on what works, what, what is shown to work and. Exactly. So yeah. there have been clinical trials that showed that um, acupuncture, mindfulness and cognitive behavior therapy Mm. can help a woman go through her perimenopause um, and help lessen the menopausal symptoms that she's experiencing, okay? So um, there is value to those practices. Um, with regards to Chinese um, herbal medicine, there's some evidence-based data, but be very, very cognizant of um, the person you're going to mm -hmm. and getting the herbs from because there can be issues with contamination and 
issues with the herbs. And so there are people who are certified traditional Chinese medicine practitioners. And these people have to you know, show that their competency and that they understand what they're providing. And so they are much safer people from whom to get the Chinese herbal medicine. And um, we do have such a practitioner at Hopkins that I refer patients to. Mm. And I feel very comfortable when he prescribes certain herbs for the patients. Oh, I love that that um, that Johns Hopkins even has somebody there, right? Because you think of, you know, I'm in Chicago and, I, you know, you think of these big hospitals as being very much against that type of um, medical direction. Right. Yeah. Well, that's... yeah, that was through very, very hard work on the part of um, Dr. Linda Lee, who brought integrated mm. medicine to Hopkins uh, because, yeah, she had to fight pretty hard. Yeah, wonderful. So in 2009, you published um, a paper called The Treatment st- Treatment Strategies for Hot Flushes with Dr. Vera Stearns, who I just had yeah. on my podcast as well, who was the person um, that introduced yeah. me to you. And you found that estrogen use was the gold standard in terms of um, uh, hot, hot flashes. Exactly. So exactly. can you speak to a little bit about that? Right. So the reason why a woman is having hot flashes is because her estrogen level has plummeted with menopause. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that if we treated her with estrogen, then that would resolve a lot of her hot flashes and improve it. And, you know, um, scientifically speaking, we know that um, the thermoregulatory center in the brain has these um, neurons that have these receptors on them. And the receptors are estrogen receptors and also a type of receptors that um, is focused on by candy, um, KNDY neurotransmitters, okay? And so long story short, when a woman is premenopausal, her estrogen is predominating on these neurons and her estrogen controls the effect that these neurons have on a woman's body temperature. Mm. But once she becomes postmenopausal and her um, estrogen level falls, the KNDY receptors go crazy, okay? They get big and fat and they stimulate the, what we call the vasodilation, the swelling of the blood vessels. That's why, you know, you turn beet red and you start dripping sweat. And um, so that's what causes it. So if we are to replace the woman with her, with estrogens again, that would, you know, control the, these neurons again and get her thermal regulation back in order in her body. So that's the, the bottom line why estrogen is the gold standard because that's the root of her having these hot flashes, right? But, um, and, and, but a lot of women, for example, women with breast cancer who cannot use estrogen because they have an estrogen positive breast cancer. So that's how Dr. Stearns and I got to work so closely together because, you know, so many of her patients are referred to me because of their symptoms. And um, so estrogen is the gold standard, but there's more to the estrogen story, right? There is actually estrogen and progesterone receptors in every system in a woman's body, okay? Your brain is so rich in estrogen and progesterone receptors. Your heart, your lungs, your bones, no, not just your GYN organs. So as a result, there are a lot of changes that occur. And most of them, unfortunately, are detrimental changes that occur when the estrogen level 
decreases. And that is a big focus of my um, practice is that, you know, we are living, as I said, the last third of the life in postmenopause. And you want to be able to make it into your mid 80s, vibrant, you know, um, active, okay, and, and happy, right? And yeah. um, unfortunately, along the way, you can be attacked by osteoporosis, which means that you break your hip when you step off the, the curb. And breaking a hip because of osteoporosis isn't just a matter of, you know, resting up and getting physical therapy for a few months. It, mean, it means that, you know, 80% of women who have um, osteoporotic fractures cannot go back to their previous lifestyle, that there's in some way um, ambulatory um, lessened, you know, some even to the point where they just can't even drive, they can't right. walk themselves. So, and then the next thing that's really important is heart disease. Women don't start having heart attacks until we're 65. And women go through menopause on the average at 51. And that's because of the effect of estrogen on the heart on a premenopausal woman is beneficial. And once she goes through menopause and that estrogen effect is taken away, then she starts building plaque in her blood vessels and her cardiac function decreases. And so at 65, more women have heart attacks than men. And heart disease is a primary killer of women, not breast cancer, not right. anything else, heart disease. Right. And then also cognitive, right? So I'm always about brain, bones, and heart, because I think these three things can markedly improve a woman's quality of life if we keep these things healthy. So you want to be able to be in the present. You want to have good cognitive function. And we also have evidence that estrogen helps with cognitive function. So, you know, that's that's my soapbox that I always get onto with mm -hmm. my patients. Um, and, and, you know, patients can then decide what their risk factors are for these three diseases, okay? And what kind of trade-off? Because a lot of people, a lot of women come to me, primarily the first thing they say, they worry about is, is this going to cause breast cancer, okay? Right. And so breast cancer compared to heart disease is very low on the list, okay? So um, you can add the, all the top causes of mortality for women, the next six causes add up to equal mortality due to heart disease. So mm. yes, breast cancer is something you want to keep in your mind. And it is something that's why you need to get your mammogram every single year mm -hmm. after the age of 50, okay? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're on hormone therapy. If mm -hmm. you are going to go on, hormone therapy, you got to get your mammogram. Okay. And so, um, yes, it is something that we are very cognizant of, but if we diligently follow up and do all the screening that's necessary, okay, then um, hopefully the breast cancer can be detected at an early stage where it is in today's oncology is a treatable disease. Right. Right. Wow. You really broke that down. Um, so well, I have a, I, I want to circle back to so many things actually, but I want to go back to osteoporosis first. So, um, one of the things I suggest to my clients when I'm working with them is to get a DEXA scan. Mm-hmm. 
you know, why wait till you're 65 when your health insurance is going to cover it when you're in your fifties and let's get, let's capture a baseline of where you're at because collecting more data helps you make better decisions for yourself. You can use the data or you can ignore the data, but the data is the data. Right. And so uh, one of the things I talk about a lot is sarcopenia, which is the disease of the elderly. Yep. So this yep. is loss of um, lean muscle mass. Right. So as we age and we're going through menopause, it is harder and harder to maintain lean muscle mass, even, and let's just talk, let's talk about the woman who never even exercised, you know, and built that lean muscle mass to start with. And all of a sudden she's putting on a lot of midlife weight and she's not feeling very good. She's feeling sluggish. Her testosterone is, is, you know, dumping, um, all her hormone levels are crashing and now we have to help her figure out how to pivot her lifestyle and get on board because the way you live your life in your twenties and thirties ain't going to work for your fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. Right. right. So what, what do you have to say about sarcopenia and how important, I know we're going to talk about lifestyle intervention, but let's just dump into, um, diet and lifestyle right now with osteopenia. What are some things women should be aware of and how, how serious is sarcopenia? Right, right. So sarcopenia is a very under-discussed um, aspect in, in menopause. We tend to focus so much on osteoporosis, mm -hmm. right, that sarcopenia kind of is the stepchild, stepsister of. Right. Um, so let's start with what you said about DEXA scans. Um, and you will be very happy to know that the um, physician who is the director of our metabolic bone center just gave us a very quick and dirty summary about her practice. And she, she also advocates for what you just said, okay, that um, you may have to pay out of pocket, okay, right. but if you really want to know, then you should get it. And there's usually a way to get your insurance company to, to pay for it because almost every other woman who is not on vitamin D supplements is going to be low on her vitamin D level. Okay, so if you at some point had a blood test done, that shows you are low on vitamin D or low on calcium, that's reason enough to get a DEXA scan paid for, mm, okay? Great. Uh -huh. So you can get a DEXA scan done before you're 65. And the thing we know is that the time during the perimenopause, even before menopause occurs, is when women are losing their bones the fastest. So if you get your bone density taken and it shows that you already have osteopenia, mm -hmm. okay? And maybe you're not even done with your periods yet at that point, you're just perimenopausal. Then you know that you need to start altering your lifestyle to improve because as time goes on and you become postmenopausal, it's only gonna get worse. Right. right. So there are a lot of other indications. For example, if you've um, been on thyroid medication mm -hmm. forever, if you if your mother has a history of osteoporotic fragility fracture, okay, if you've been on any sort of steroid um, treatment, people who have asthma and have been inhaling steroids all their lives, these are all reasons we're getting a bone density done because they could eat away. So, mm -hmm. you know, you might want to sit down with your primary provider and go through all of the medical issues, the family history to see if there is a reason for getting a DEXA scan before 65. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that would make, um, the head of the bone center, very happy because that's what she feels people should, you know, women should do going into menopause. And then um, with regards to what you should do, 
um, weight-bearing exercise is like the number yep. one item on the list. And people immediately say, oh, but, you know, I don't want to go into a gym right now and walk. Walking is such a good cardiovascular and weight-bearing um, exercise. Because when you're walking, you're weight-bearing on all the major bones in your body, your legs, your hips, and your spine. So if you can do 30 to 45 minutes of walking five days a week, and as you get used to, to that walking, start ramping it up, start doing you know, cardiovascular walking. You know, where you can ha carry small hand weights and really swing mm -hmm. your arms to really get your heart going. So that simple act of walking can be good for your bones, your heart, and your brain. Okay. And I also, so there's a lot of um, discussion about vitamin D mm -hmm. supplementation and my recommendation is that I have not read of any evidence that taking vitamin D3 is detrimental in any way. Obviously, you don't want to overdose it, right? But definitely, um, under 5,000 international units a day, mm -hmm. and my usual recommendation is 2,000 international units, of vitamin D3 a day um, is the recommended dose. And then also make sure that your diet mm -hmm. is rich in calcium rich foods. That's another place where, you know, natural is better than the supplements. So Google foods that are high in calcium and incorporate it into your diet so that you're getting 1200 milligrams of calcium a day. Now, obviously, if you have um, issues with your parathyroid, if you have had bariatric surgery for weight loss, if you have um, gut problems that cause you to not be able to absorb nutrients, then it's a whole different volume, right? right? So right. then you need to comply with what your doctor tells you as the supplements that you need. Right. I'd also like to add during this time that eating more protein is something to really yes. focus on. I would say 95% yes. of the women I work with are under eating protein. And right. um, that's detrimental because you know, not, you can't go in and build yeah. lean muscle mass without eating protein. We need those amino acids. Right. You need to, the protein to build those muscles and in conjunction with the, um, the calcium salmon and sardines yeah. mm -hmm. are really wonderful lean protein and good on calcium. Yep. So I, I want to also circle back to brain health, especially Alzheimer's. And um, we talked about in terms of brain health, we talked about mood disorders. A lot of women get really become depressed or anxious, or they have fluctuations in their mood and they just feel very low. And a lot of women report that their OBGYN or their doctor prescribe antidepressants. And I get that this is a, this is a band-aid approach and yeah. not looking at the root cause. And so what are your thoughts on women who are taking antidepressants for this during menopause and, and, and completely not fixing the root cause here? If taking the antidepressant actually resolves their mood symptoms, then I have less of an objection to it. But what I do see is um, a lot of women who do take these antidepressants and come to me and say that it hasn't really helped. Mm. Okay? And so um, because the estrogen in the brain, the lack of estrogen in the brain can cause problems with moods and anxiety. And especially, so there are um, 
psychiatrists who focus on menopausal health um, say that there are three times of vulnerability, and that's the word they use, of vulnerability for women. One is when she starts having her periods. Two is when she's pregnant. And three is in menopause. And mm -hmm. during these times, the crazy hormonal fluctuations really do affect your mood. Now, you know, and I'm very careful about saying that because I don't want people to say, oh, you know, she's just hormonal. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it is your hormones, but don't, you know, negate it just because right. it is your hormones. It, it does a lot of harm, these hormones. And so women who do have a history of postpartum depression, mm -hmm. women who do have a history of, you know, PMDD, PMS in their younger years are especially um, at risk for mood issues in menopause. And these mm -hmm. mood issues could be quite, quite severe to the point where, you know, it affects their work. They're, they're debilitating. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't help to yell at your boss. Right. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> you know? so you want to be, and, and that's the thing. It's like their main, the thing I hear all the time is, I am just not me. Mm -hmm. So what is the conversation you have with a woman who comes to see you for support and she really doesn't want to go on hormones, whether it's HRT or BHRT, and she really wants to just tough this out. And you present her with all the information you just presented us with, all the, the symptoms and then what's going on under the hood as well. What's that conversation like? One thing I'm going to, to, I want to talk about before I uh -huh. answer your question. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry for all these sidetracks. No, this is great. It's just, I have all the more, the merrier. We, we want to know. So with regards to what you just said about hormones and BHRT, mm -hmm. okay. That is a huge source of misunderstanding mm -hmm. in the public right now. And bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is somewhat of a, a, a marketing gimmick, okay? And that um, people use in order to sell compounded, non-FDA approved and non-reimbursable hormone therapy, okay? That, um, is, is an issue for me. You know, I, I do object to that because a woman can very easily get um, FDA approved and insurance paid for hormone <clears throat> therapy that is literally exactly the same, okay? So what do you think of when you say bioidentical hormones? Well, I think of uh, using a substance that is most identical to our natural substance that we produce, but you are correct that I, I buy my estradiol. I get it from Walgreens. It's covered under my insurance. I get my progesterone covered under my, it's micronized progesterone. It's covered under my insurance. The only one not available to women though, is testosterone. And that's a big one. Right. So there's a lot of effort going on to try and get testosterone, um, approved by the FDA for women, it has been, and that's another thing, right? Why is it that Viagra is covered, but testosterone for women is not? Right. That's right. That's another right. soapbox for another right. day. Right. But anyway. Okay. So, um, but wait, that, one more thing on that. A lot of women do come to me and they're using a combi patch and the combi right. patch does have progestin and there is a difference right. between progestin and progesterone. Right. right. So, right. So, with regards to what you just said, the um, estradiol patch, are you mm -hmm. using the estradiol yeah. patch? Yes. Okay. The estradiol patch that you're using has mm -hmm. 17 beta estradiol on it. 17 beta estradiol is the exact same molecule as the estradiol your ovaries used to make. How much more bioidentical can you get? It's the same right. molecule. 
Right. Okay. Um, the only thing is uh, it is made in a laboratory by a pharmaceutical company, but it's still the same molecule. Mm-hmm. And it also is extracted from yams, Mexican mm-hmm. wild yams. Right. And, 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 and patients have asked me, well, then why can't I just eat the yams? Well, <laughs> in order to eat enough yams to equal what is concentrated in your patch, mm-hmm. you would be turning orange because of how much yams you're eating. Okay. Right. You just can't do it. Same thing with the natural progesterone that mm-hmm. you're taking. Yep. Same exact molecule. So even though we don't use the term bioidentical, mm-hmm. okay, they are in fact bioidentical. It's just that those of us who are, you know, part of the menopause societies want to separate ourselves from um, hormone prescribers who may not be um, using Mm evidence-based, okay, and compounding medications also can come with their risks, right? Because if the compounding is done under the right sterile conditions, Mm -hmm. um, everybody remembers those IVs that came from that compounding place up in Massachusetts that had all that, um, that had fungal contamination and killed people. And so it's, those are things that worry me about compounding. Um, There are a few um, FDA approved compounding pharmacies Mm -hmm. um, around, and I'm happy to send compounding prescriptions to those pharmacies because they have met with the FDA agreement and are certified. Yeah. But there are a lot of fly-by-night compounding pharmacies. I, I agree 100% with you, especially in the world of peptide therapy right now. You see it online that you can get you know, this and that for yeah. a quarter of the price, and you just right. don't want to go down that path. You need to be partnering up with a very educated and knowledgeable uh, medical doctor who understands the ins and outs of this. Where that exactly. And yeah. so with regards to the combi patch, Mm-hmm. What you're saying is exactly true, that the um, progestin mm-hmm. is part of that combination. And for a lot of patients, it's worth the convenience of just using a patch without mm-hmm. having to do an oral dose of progesterone. Mm-hmm. So that's where that comes. Also for some women, the uh, the natural progesterone capsule um, cannot act adequately control um, spotting that occurs mm-hmm. when they're t- on hormone therapy, whereas the progestins are stronger forms. And so the progestin and the combi patch may work better at controlling irregular spotting on hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. So the main the main reason, the number one reason why women are on progestins, progestogens after menopause is to help control the uterine lining. Estrogen stimulates the uterine lining and can result, can result in uterine cancer if estrogen is used unopposed, okay? And that's why if a woman has had a hysterectomy, then she can be on estrogen by itself. She doesn't really need the progestogen, okay? And so that's the primary reason. And then for me, I prescribe a lot of the natural progesterone, what you're using, because Mm -hmm. it also helps with sleep. Right. And sleep is a major issue for a lot of women. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk. Yes, yes. Great information. Let's talk about vaginal health and urinary incontinence. Because that's that's something that a lot of women don't, we don't want to talk about it. 
but there are two pretty adverse, um, ugly yep. symptoms of this yep. time in our life. Um, let's start yep. with the urinary incontinence. You know, this is, yeah, I remember the first time I was, um, I experienced that when I was working out and my trainer had me do jumping jacks and I was like, what the heck just happened? I just peed in my pants. Yeah. <laughs> I told him we're never doing jumping jacks ever again. And I haven't since then. And that was years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's the, what's the connection between menopause and in this? A lot. Um, so there is a new terminology, GSM, genital urinary syndrome of menopause. And it is a big, big topic. And as you said, it's something that women have traditionally not talked about because mm -hmm. they were too embarrassed to, and especially back when most OBGYNs were men, you know, they certainly didn't want to talk about it. <clears throat> but um, it is one of my favorite subjects because there are so many things that I can offer a woman who is suffering from GSM. And so with regards to GSM, that's because you're, again, we're back to estrogen. Okay, your estrogen level is low. And so all the estrogen receptors in your vagina, on the vulva, and in your bladder, okay, these are three areas that are very rich in estrogen receptors. And so if they're not getting their estrogen, they become very sad places. The, the skin, if we were to biopsy the skin, the skin goes from these thick, healthy, multi-layer down to one basal layer. Mm. And when we do the pelvic exam, very often we'll see these just really thin skin on the vulva that, that you know, looks like if I even went anywhere near them with a speculum, they're going to start oozing and bleeding. And then in the vagina, the, um, the skin in the vagina becomes this pale white non-stretchable skin. And so for a lot of my menopause patients, I'll tell them, you know what, let's talk about estrogen. Let's get you on some vaginal estrogen. And then you come back in three months and then I'll do your pap. Because if I try to do a pap now, you're not going to like me. So um, the estrogen that we use for the, for GSM, very, very low dose. Okay so low dose that if we were to draw blood three months after you've been using it, the your estrogen level in your blood will still be post-menopausal. And the breast oncology people have agreed that their patients can use the vaginal estrogen treatments, okay? Because um, it is something that it's not just a matter of having sex. It is something that can be so symptomatic that just the everyday act of um, walking and mm -hmm. sitting down, mm -hmm. urinating, okay, um, when the urine hits the skin on the vulva, can burn like fire. And then within the bladder itself, right? The bladder just cannot hold um, the, the volume of urine because the skin in the bladder also isn't stretching like it should. Mm -hmm. So with very small amounts of urine, you have the sensation that you have to go. So the most common type of incontinence that's estrogen related is what we call urge. Okay, the woman feels she has to use the bathroom much more frequently than she used to. And then she, you know, she almost makes it to the toilet, not quite, and starts dribbling. Can be very, very annoying, right? What you express the um, jumping jacks and mm -hmm. coughing, and that is more is usually associated with stress incontinence, right? Because you're causing stress to your bladder when mm -hmm. you're jumping, when you're mm -hmm. popping. Those, you would want to do Kegels exercises. You should do Kegels exercises, right. anyway, whether you have it or not. 
And the easiest way to do Kegel exercises is when you're sitting on the toilet and you're urinating, hold, squeeze your muscles down there and stop the stream. Mm. Hold it for as long as you can, let it go again. Hold it for as long as you can. Do as many of those repetitions as you can until you've totally emptied your bladder. So, you know, you empty your bladder a few times a day, you'll get a few sets of that in. And the muscles down in your pelvis and around your bladder is just like muscles anywhere else on your body. If you exercise them, they get stronger. And there is evidence that shows women who do conscientiously practice Kegels have better bladder tone and control. Oh, that's a great tip. Great tip. What about vaginal rejuvenation? What are your thoughts on that? You know, like the Viviv treatment. Um, I think there's the Mona Lisa one. Um, so I, I'm all for any way of biohacking, especially my my sex life, right? You know, who doesn't want to have sex and have healthy and, you know, absolutely non-painful intercourse? Absolutely. And that is a really big thing. And um, so the laser treatment for the vagina um, was first started by um, Italian um, oncologists who have a lot of patients who um, could not use estrogen and were having severe vaginal genital urinary syndrome symptoms. And so what they noticed was that the, um, the dermatologists use these laser procedures to rejuvenate skin. Mm-hmm. And so they thought, huh, why not vaginal skin? And so they started, they put together, you know, the vaginal laser probes and they found a way of doing it. And so in a very, very small study, with very few patients who were their breast cancer patients, they tested them and they found it to be effective in um, improving the symptoms, okay? So, and the issue is that the study is what the, their study was very small and um, trying to get FDA to approve of the laser equipment here in the United States FDA wanted more data. So there needs, and, and I know that the cancer um, people are trying to put together a um, national study of all the national um, medical centers for looking at the laser ablation procedure for breast cancer survivors because obviously it's something that would be very beneficial for a lot of women. And what is shown is that yes, it does seem to be effective, okay? But the um, beneficial effects tend to lessen um, after a year, okay? So um, the usual treatment is three courses of the laser, Uh, a month apart in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then that will cause really good response. Mm -hmm. And, but it'll start wearing off after about a year Mm -hmm. and you would need a touch up in a year. Right. And so, and the second thing is that because it's not FDA approved, no insurance company is going to pay for it. So all of this is going to be out of pocket. Very expensive. And yeah, so it can be quite costly. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there's still questions about the safety because some women have received burns to it, mm-hmm. and um, and you know I have had a couple of patients who say that it didn't help them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of money out of pocket for something that didn't end up helping. But for the women for whom it did work, it was life changing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so um, it is something that is 
um, being performed by private um, OBGYNs who mm -hmm. have the machine in their office. Um, so, you know, my recommendation would be to ask the OBGYN um, how many have they done mm -hmm. and what is their, their success rate? Right. And what is their um, a risk? you know, like how many patients did have side effects. Yep. Yep. So it is very expensive. I've actually done it a few times. The maintenance is about once a year. I haven't had it in a couple of years. I haven't had the need to have it, but um, there's also, so that's, that's in an office and that's very expensive, but now there's a whole new generation of toys coming out from Femtech where you can have at home red light laser therapy for your vagina. And I told my daughter, I have a red light therapy cap for my hair growth. I have a red light therapy box that I sit in front of for my mitochondrial health. I said, I could do a, I could have a, a triple thread here and have one in my vagina all at the same time. She's like, Oh my God, mom, please don't post that. <laughs> I could just light myself up with red light therapy. Right. right. And that's the other thing too. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, for us menopausal women, we're not afraid to talk about these things. You know, right. the, the young women are mortified, mortified. Right. Yeah. But, you know, sense of humor goes a long way. Absolutely. And, and um, yeah, so with that, there, I looked that up and there isn't anything that's evidence-based. And so I can't really comment on it. Yeah. And I definitely can't comment on, you know, safety. Right whatever. Right. Still too new, but it brings me to a great question. You mentioned, you know, these younger women are, are we all, most of us have daughters, right. And they're all yeah. in their twenties and thirties, maybe even older or teens. And they're, you know, on birth control for good reason. Mm -hmm. um, what would you tell that younger woman about taking birth control or living a certain lifestyle to help set herself up for this, this time that is coming? Sooner than later, we all go through it. What are some words of wisdom? So my words of wisdom is enjoy your youth, but be smart, right? Because yeah, definitely there's, there are physical things that I wish I can still do that, you know, arthritic old me is never going to do again. However, being smart means not taking risks with regards to sexually transmitted diseases, with lifestyles that means like smoking, drugs, alcohol, okay? Um, because that will impact you in the long run. So, um, and then with regards to birth control pills, I would say if, it is something that does not cause side effects, that um, does not cause you to have blood pressure problems or have other side effects with breast discomfort. There are benefits to being on birth control pills. Number one, you won't get pregnant. Correct. Number two, the ovarian suppression, it's good data to show that women who are on birth control pill have lower risk of ovarian cancer, hmm. okay? And that lower risk carries for 10 years after she's been on it. Hmm. Um, that you have lower risk of endometrial cancer, okay? And also um, because of the estrogen, it helps support bone health, okay? So there are young women who are prematurely postmenopausal who are on hormone, on birth control pills for those reasons, to help with their hot flashes and also for their bone health. Mm -hmm. Okay. But just for the majority of young women who are using it for birth control, it also um, lowers your risk for being anemic because most young women who are on birth control pills have much lighter bleeding so that you know, you're, you're not going through boxes of tampons mm. each period. And um, so there are a lot of beneficial effects and there are a lot of different pills available too. That's the other thing, right? Just because you've tried one type of pill 
and right. you had issues with it, doesn't mean that it's all because there are multiple different types of estrogens and progestins that are in different birth control pills. And so, you know, you should be able to sit down with your gynecologist and review what kinds of symptoms and side effects you're experiencing and come up with one that would be better suited for you. Yeah. Mirena IUD is another great form of birth control pill if you're having bleeding problems and um, you need contraception. Um, if you don't have bleeding problems, then the non, um, I shouldn't have used that, that commercial name, but anyway, non-hormonal IUD is also available. So they are very, very effective. But, um, so, but they do not lower your risk for ovarian cancer for the other. Right. Right. So are there any new treatments for treatment options for menopausal women coming down the pipeline? Yes. Really exciting. So what I was saying about those neurons yeah. in the brain, the thermal reg. So there are two major pharma that are, um, are in the process. One is further along for um, medication to treat the, the to suppress the candy neurotransmitters so that they don't get all fat and happy and cause the, the hot flashes. So yeah, wow. so I know it's really- Game really changer. Funny. Yes, very much so. It won't confer the benefits that estrogen can confer. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, um, you know, a lot of the women who are cancer survivors and are just trying to make it through the day right. and through the night, right. um, that would be a huge game changer. Yeah. Right. So be ready for that. Um, FDA is, is definitely looking into it and hope to, to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm also hoping one of them is the next step in their clinical trials is actually specifically looking at this treatment for cancer survivors. And so I'm really excited and, you know, I'm definitely going to be part of that clinical trial because, you know, working with Dr. Stearns, I have so many breast cancer survivors who need right. that. Right. Wonderful. So you're also the co-director of the Johns Hopkins Women's Wellness and Healthy Aging Program. That's yes. along with Dr. Stearns, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, can you share what that is all about and how women can contact you through there if they're looking for some more support? Right. So we have a website and I guess you have a way yep. of- Yep, I'll list that. Okay. So people can just look up the website and there are links for contacting um, and also phone number to call. And what that program is all about is that it grew out of the collaboration that I have with Dr. Stearns because um, medical care can be so complicated and, you know, uh, getting that appointment can be so complicated. And so we, you know, we've had patients who um, was found to have osteoporosis and I sent her to the metabolic bone clinic and they are so over, you know, flooded with patients that nobody can get an appointment. So our program is that we collaborate with a lot of these specialists mm. who agree to reserve spots for patients that we refer. And oh, obviously great. patients that we refer are high risk patients. For example, if I after consulting a patient, I said, you are a heart attack waiting to happen. So I refer her to cardiology and they know that if I'm referring her, it's because she needs to be seen sooner yeah. than later. And so that's what our program is all about. And it, you know, definitely majority of the patients are sent to me because they're hot flashes and night sweats and mood swings and you know, vaginal symptoms are just intolerable, but we also look at the whole woman in a holistic, you know, way, and we provide integrated medicine for, for the patients. Wonderful. I will absolutely list that website and hopefully you'll be getting a swarm of calls. <laughs> 
after the new year. Um, so I always ask a question um, at the end of my podcast. I always ask my guests, what are three things that someone can do at home, right? To help whatever we're talking about. And so this question is, what are three things menopausal women can do at home right now without even seeing a doctor? And you already gave us a couple tips. One is, you know, walking and getting that fresh air walk and really ramping it up with some weights. Another one was um, the Kegels trying to stop your, uh, the flow of urination while you're peeing. And is there any other tips that you can offer? mindfulness and cognitive mm. behavior love that yeah so um they may not get rid of your hot flashes altogether but they mm. do help your peace of mind yep. and um your mood issues and it it's a myriad of um of you know benefits and and i'm finding more and more of my colleagues in other specialties are also referring patients for this because in this day and age, right? We're all multitasking. There's right. so much anxiety mm -hmm. in the world today. Um, and so we all need to be able to center ourselves and, and definitely the menopause symptoms aren't helping. Right. And so if you can just, you know, take a few minutes to get inside your own head and calm yourself down would be a huge, huge game changer, I think. Yeah. One of the tips I offer my clients is when they wake up before they grab their phone, have a notebook next to your bed and write down three things, three positive things. It could be about anything, your favorite food that you like your hair, whatever it is to you, three things, that's it. And they have all found that to absolutely change the, the course of their day into a more positive direction, just such a simple change. So it doesn't have to be signing up for a big yoga retreat or, you know, it doesn't right. have to cost you money. It's something that you can do at home at your office. Uh, you just have to be mindful and make the time for it. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, that's the same thing why I recommend walking too. It's, you right. don't have to spend money and right. and these are things you can do for yourself and if the weather is bad go to your local shopping mall um before the mall opens right my so mom does that have, yeah you know yeah. temperature controlled absolutely well, even floors to mm -hmm. walk absolutely well dr shan it was such uh, an amazing podcast. You offered so much amazing information. My community is absolutely going to love all of this information and um, I'll have to have you back. We'll, we'll talk more about <laughs> women's health. Okay. I'd love to just one more thing. Yeah. Please also post the uh, menopause toolkit. Yep. I have that in my notes that, as well. Yeah. Yep. That is very helpful for evidence-based information for patients. Wonderful. Um, I will list everything and okay. um, thank you so much again. And You're I really appreciate welcome. your time. My pleasure. Have good holidays. Thank you. You as well. Take care. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.